happens as per the uh, the free kick. <laughs> Welcome, everyone. How are we all? Sorry, we're just having a bit of a chat off there. Uh, Monday night, we're back for another show after a disappointing loss against the Swans, it must be said. But we'll front up nonetheless, Grok, where we are coming week in, week out. How are you, mate? Good to have you back on. Yeah, good to be back. Just got to cop it on the chin, I guess. Take the good with the bad. We had a bit of a purple patch there, but I suppose Sydney and Sydney with their form, always a bit of a tough challenge. It was a tough challenge. It just never felt like we were far enough ahead uh, that whole time, which is a bit weird given we were 30 points up, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. But yeah, very disappointing to lose that one. Um, common sense, Rock, any, any common sense thoughts from you? Common sense isn't that common these days. That's all. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, and as you can see, Rob, we've got a very special guest here tonight, Matthew White, former Tiger player. Welcome, Matt. How are you, mate? Thanks for having me, guys. Pleasure to be no here. Wor- no worries at all. Huge thanks to, uh, to to Nick for getting that organised for us and reaching out to you. Much appreciated. Uh, before we get into it, Nick also messaged me about that. I think I believe there's a photo of your dad sitting on Tommy Hafey's lap that was on the Herald Sun. Is that right? Yeah, it was from, oh, God, would have been in the 60s. I wasn't able to find it anywhere. I was going to – I tried to bring it up, but I just couldn't find it anywhere. But um, my grandfather moved down from Sydney as a young fella, um, went to a footy game, and at the end of the game – or during the game said, I'm going to bag for whoever wins this game. And I was lucky because it was Fitzroy versus Richmond. Um, right. And he chose to bag for Richmond. So um, – all through from when he was probably five or six when he moved down all the way through Richmond tr- through and through. And there's a photo of dad. He would have been oh, three, four or five, pretty young, sitting on Hafey's lap and my grandfather sitting next to him. So um, that got posted up in the newspaper. It got posted up when I got drafted because uh, dad put it up somewhere. And um, Nick, who organised tonight, he actually, his brother reposted it on Facebook not that long ago. And even okay. through that, I'm that good with technology. I still couldn't find it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nick, if you do have it, feel free to send it through. Um, no, that, that's awesome. So Tiger Blood runs through the family then? Yes, very much so. Uh, I think all of my uncles wore a baby-sized woolen Richmond jumper the day they were born. Um, and I believe all of us grandchildren and the great-grandchildren have worn the same jumper. From what I know, so I don't think there's anyone that's missed wearing it as yet. Maybe a couple of cousins interstate or something, but um, yeah, very, very Richmond focused that side of the family. Oh, very good. Uh, I don't do this often, but I do want to give a shout out. My grandma's watching, uh, and she has been your number one supporter when you're at the club. She brought your badge every year you played with us. So, Mama, I'm glad you're listening with Auntie. So, hope you enjoyed listening to to Matt tonight. So, yeah, she uh, she was pretty ecstatic to hear that you were coming on. Um, Apologies for all the really bad haircuts that I had on those photos <laughs> and the silly faces that I pulled. Will Thirstfield can um, own up to a couple of those who egging me on to do something stupid every time. Someone mentioned as well, do you have a, a, a tattoo that's maybe a bit average as well, someone mentioned? I do have a couple of average tattoos. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I got um, – it was one off-season and I was a little bit intoxicated and I was going in – I was I was a state champ in the 400 metres back-to-back as a, as a junior and I sort of wanted to get something to commemorate it. So I was going to go in and get a little – flame thing on the inside of my ankle yet going in there 
oh, I'm going to say pretty drunk. Um, <laughs> the tattooer said, why don't you just go all the way around? So that's a bloody great idea. And, yeah, so I had this flame tattoo. Then I got it coloured in in what I thought was a cool-looking sort of chemical colouring. And, um, yeah, it turned out pretty shit ass. So, um, How was that received by the uh, playing group? Oh, that no, was great. Uh, I think if you speak to any Richmond footballer that I played with, they will, you say my name, and they will instantly talk about the flame tattoo. Um, running gag going along for, oh, what was it, seven of the eight years I was at Richmond because of the tattoo with being there for seven eight years. <laughs> I think uh, George Stegner might have... Uh, the, the, sorry? Oh, so George Castagna might have taken the mantle off you now with some of the tats that he's got. Ooh, I haven't seen him. I haven't spoken to the boys about it, so I'll need to find out. But yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely ask about that. It's he's, he's got a uh, tattoo gun that he practices on himself. So oh, I love that. Should, that. That, that should speak volumes of the quality <laughs> that he's got on his might, body. Might have to get in the club and get a tattoo off him. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right, we'll get stuck into some questions about your time at the Tigers and uh, even a little bit about Port Adelaide, and then we'll talk about the Sydney game. Uh, so you played 105 games and kicked 54 goals with the Tigers, and you had 48 games and 44 goals with Port, taking pick number five in the 2005 preseason draft. Did you, did you have much contact with Richmond or any other clubs, for that matter, uh, leading into the, the draft and the preseason draft? How did it all play out for you? Uh, so as a 17-year-old, I was linked to go to Collingwood. Um, they actually told me as a 17 year old, they were going to take me with pick, uh, 40 or 50 odd, um, took a teammate of mine from the court of cannons and Adam Yakabuchi. So it wasn't a big loss that I didn't go as a 17 year old, um, did the draft combine in wow. Melbourne, didn't go to the actual combine up in Canberra wow. or wherever it was, um, wow. spoke with Greg Miller. And they sort of did the same thing. They said, oh, we're going to take you with pick 38 or whatever it was. Um, we're pretty confident that, that we're going to take you and this is what's going to happen. And they took one Travis Cassily instead. Um, got a phone call later that night from then Coburg coach Andy Collins. Um, said, mate, get, keep yourself fresh. Get down to Richmond tomorrow morning. Uh, we got a rookie spot day. Um, did the training session for the day, um, all the testing that they do and everything else. And then I got a phone call Sunday night saying, we want you to come and train with us for two weeks. So fronted up Monday morning, um, trained with the club for two weeks. Had a, I think it was towards the end, there was an intra-club game. Um, and I must have played a right in it because, yeah, had the rookie draft. Uh, on the Tuesday after that and Tuesday or the Wednesday after that. Um, and my old man came out to me uh, about half an hour before the rookie draft started and told me I'd just been drafted to Richmond. And I sort of looked at him funny and said, what are you talking about? The draft isn't for another half an hour. And he goes, no, you haven't been rookie. You've been drafted um, preseason draft. So, yeah, it was a bit of a whirlwind, a bit of a weird way to get there. Um but pretty fun, and it was funny that I rocked up late to training because I obviously had the rookie draft or the draft on. I was the only one that was in Melbourne that could rock up on the day, and I think it was Mark Chaffee just looked at me when I rocked up, and they introduced me as a new draftee. And Chaff goes, 
hasn't this bloke been here for two and a half weeks? Didn't we draft him like a month ago? <laughs> Everyone's laughed. But, um, yeah, just a very interesting, different way of getting there, really. Missing out on two drafts and then training for two weeks and getting a two-year contract off that. Does um, having, I suppose, trained there for the couple of weeks prior help with obviously settling in? Like, obviously, we're very familiar with the the place, the players, the staff, etc. So that, I'm assuming there wasn't much downtime between knowing you were drafted. It would have been just business as usual, really. Yeah, well, because I, I think because I was training, I got treated different to the other draftees. So I'd done the two weeks of training with everyone. The draftees were all into status. So there was two from WA, one from SA. So it was Jared Oakley Nichols, Travis Cassily from WA and Cleve Hughes from SA. Um, so they actually hadn't rocked up yet. Um, they rocked up, I think, the week after my draft was done. And they were just, oh, Harado, you three, all the new draftees, all you rookies, you go over there. Oh, Whitey, not you. You've been here for two weeks. So you're fine. You just go and train with the rest of the boys. Don't, we're not going to take it easy on you. We're just going to treat you like you've been here for a year and a half and whatever the AFL boys are doing, you're straight out of TSC. But you can do it too. You'll be fine. Off you go. Um, which actually worked out better because I got probably a better preseason block in than what those guys did and ended up playing more games that first year than them all combined, really. What what was the expectations being a Richmond supporter from, you know, being a supporter, going straight into the club, training and then getting drafted? Like, were there any expectations versus reality clashes that happened? Uh, I, I was a massive Richo fan, so I... I grew up wearing the number 12 and um, knew most of the older guys just from watching footy and being a fan. Um, was intimidating, but there was no real expectation. I, I probably got more grief from family than I'd actually had for a very long time. So I was getting phone calls off uncles and aunties and people that were just like, oh, so um, Nate Brown has his leg. I know he... <laughs> His leg last year, is he back training? What's Richo like? Is Richo a really nice guy? Oh, Darren Gaspar. Well, yes, we love Darren Gaspar. What's he like? And you just they just keep rattling off names. You're like, I've got to go. Just leave me alone. I've training, preseason hurts. I'm tired. I'm angry. I'm hungry. Leave me alone. But weekly phone calls to my grandfather with all the same questions. And that'd be a 30, 40 second phone call. But he just wanted to know about someone that day that he had a conversation about. Okay, I need to know about this player now and what he's what he's like. And but just getting there, it was more just once I was there personally, there was no expectation of it except wanting to play and having probably a slightly bit more passion for the jumper than guys that were drafted in, knowing the history and being told all about Richmond and all the rest of it as I grew up. So yeah, it was it was more just fun. And yet you made your debut in round 10 in 2006 versus Frio, finishing with eight disposals and kicked a goal. What are your memories running out for your first time, uh, for your first game and, and kicking your first goal? I don't think I got on until halfway through the second. So the main thing I remembered was um, running up and down the boundary line, copping abuse from the Frio supporters. Um, that, <laughs> that doesn't fun. sound like them. Not at all. Uh, I had to share a room with uh, Joel Bowden, which was interesting. I was, what, 19, he was 30, 29 or 30, and he went to bed at 7.30, and I'm a 19-year-old who was playing his first game, and all I wanted to do was just not be in my room, and I had to share with Bowd. Um, 
remember kicking the goal and Paddy Bowden picking me up and I still see the photo and I kind of think it's a ingrained memory that I've got of picking, being picked up and staring at that end of the ground. Um, thought I looked a bit bulkier than in reality. <laughs> Very skinny little 19-year-old. But, um, yeah, I had all the family over there. So parents, grandfather and grandmother were all over there. And another weird little story, my, my old man's from Perth, born in Perth. As a young fella, he was walked around Subiaco in a Richmond jumper. My first game was against Frio, where my grandmother's from. Again, a Richmond jumper. So, yeah, a little coincidence there, which was kind of freaky. But, um, yeah, it was, it was a weird experience, but a good experience just to get that first one done and kick a goal, which was nice. Absolutely. Uh, that year we missed the eight. I think it was by three games. What was the feeling like around the club knowing that you were you were getting so close to cracking into the final spot? No, it was really good. Um, what we had, Lids, Tambling, uh, Rainsy, Rochi, uh, Nath Foley had just come onto the scene and started playing some decent footy. Um, Dean Polo had that breakout game against Essendon in the dream time. So we had this really good young group of guys coming through and we sort of thought it was all going to happen for us. And unfortunately it didn't, we didn't obviously didn't put in the work and didn't have potentially the game plan and the ideas around what we were trying to do. And uh, unfortunately it didn't quite work out for us for what pretty much every year until 2013. Yes, uh, unfortunately, is an element of truth to that, uh, Grok. Yeah, no. Um, so obviously, you, you were drafted with, um, I believe it was under Danny Frawley. No, under oh, it was d- for Plow, second year, second year for Plough. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Oh, cool. What was what was Plough like? Did you have any any sort oh, of? I got along with Plough really well. Um, I think he sort of saw me as a bit of a mould of how he played out on the wing, a bit flashy, um, probably a lot quicker than what he was, which I was a lot quicker than what he was. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I got along with him really well. And it wasn't till, and this isn't a knock-on player, this is more just the way the game sort of evolved in his time with Richmond, but we had a flo- very floating game plan under player. So if it worked one week, we'd follow on with it. If it didn't work, then we'd quickly change it. Whereas when Dimmer came in, he sort of came in and said, this is this is our brand, this is our style, and this is what we do every single week. Um, and it was pretty clear what we had to do. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed my time with Plough. Obviously, it didn't work out for him. Um, but, yeah, I personally got along with him really well still. Every media thing I did with him, um, post him finishing at Richmond, I always had time for Plough and hopefully he's still got time for me. Yeah, cool. Obviously, two, 2007 wasn't really a great year for the club, finishing last, only the three wins for that year. Was there anything that changed that preseason? Like, where did it all go wrong? And Was it that year sort of hard to deal with on a weekly basis with all the media attention? And I was sort of weird. Like I had a... I had my own little issues in 2007. I think I played seven games. Um, sort of thought it would have happened for me after playing 
the back half of 2006. Uh, went down and pretty much played for Coburg all year and was, <coughs> um, yeah, I probably enjoyed being at Coburg more that year than I did at Richmond. Uh, we made the grand final, um, had Andy Collins as our coach. We had a good, we had pretty much all the guys I mentioned from um, 2007 in our like membership photos, all the young blokes, pretty much all of us were playing down at, VFL level, and then we had guys like Dan Jackson, Cal Moore, Schultze, and we we all just gelled. So get to a grand final that year. Obviously, we get smacked by Geelong when they did the the double up. Um, but yeah, I don't know if it was preseason or if that was the start of the downward spiral of not having a, a fixed game plan or or what it was. But they just the club didn't we didn't gel, and we didn't. Um, didn't really know. I feel like we didn't know what we were doing coming game day. So you, you can't play well if you don't really know what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, we bounced back in 2008 with winning 11 games, finishing ninth, that, that dreaded number for Richmond fans. Uh, was there any catalyst for that in the offseason or any changes that were made prior to the 2008 season? Oh, I think there's like the group that I mentioned that we played together into the VFL finals, we had a belief that we were actually a pretty, we were pretty good players. And you marry that up with the guys that were young and playing senior footy or AFL footy. Um, it sort of just changed the dynamic a little bit. I think we started to have a little bit more power and had a bit more belief in each other. And we got in a few very good coaches that also helped with that. So they got Jade Rawlings in who was a bit of a hard ass on on the players and he sort of drove a different standard from what we were used to and so uh, different voices as well but then we had this little fellow from brisbane come in called craig mccray um and he he changed the dynamic of a lot of things around there and had us all doing a lot more personality tests and trying to work with each other more and figure out like if you're a, this type of player and this type of person, what we need to do to get you up before a game. Um, and for me, Craig was, Fly was just brilliant for me because he, I was sort of in and out, didn't know where I sort of fit in the team. Um, they didn't really see me as a true wingman anymore. And Fly's like, well, you're fast, you kick goals. Why don't we play as a small forward? And he was a three-time premiership player as a small forward and had one of the greatest teachers. And Timmy Clark was there at the time as well. So he came from the Hawthorne background. So between the two of them with a lot of experience and then Jade as well, um, helped me out, but it helped out a lot of a lot of the young guys. It put a lot more belief in them that actually we are a pretty good team. Yeah. You say you say they helped you. Obviously, you had a career best year with the club up up until that point, playing twenty games, kicking eleven goals. You must have felt like that was a pretty good reward for yourself personally for all the hard work you put in. Yeah, yeah, I put in a I put in a hell of a lot of work through preseason. Then having um, Timmy Clark and Fly there, it was just two guys that probably I was a little bit standoffish with early, um, but once I broke it all down, they. They just took my help me take my game to a new level, and they were 
because I always saw myself as a midfielder, wingman. Um, they're like, no, no, you can be a more dynamic half forward, small forward. So learning that, doing that, and actually having a solid year, solid preseason is. And I know everyone says it, but if you have a good solid preseason, it puts you in good stead for the year. And that was, I reckon that was the first time I didn't miss a session. I reckon I probably did the whole session. And uh, Matty Hornsby, I'll give him credit there because he probably managed me a little bit. Um, but yeah, he, uh, all those guys just combined for me that year. You mentioned obviously midfielder, wing, and small forward. Which position of those did you feel you were the most natural in? Uh, <laughs> master of none, jack of all. <laughs> uh, no, I love the uh, depending on depending on the ground. I, I felt like I was, I turned into more of a winger, um, but I wouldn't get enough of the ball as a wingman. Um, so they everyone sort of pinched me as a bit more of a half forward. Um, but I just played half forward as a wingman. So I'd say I was more comfortable as a wingman, sit out the back of the contest, get it fed, break a line, run and carry all the, all the good stuff. But yeah, probably half forward was more of my my jam in the end because I didn't really like venturing into the defensive 50. <laughs> Why would you? I would want to go down there. Yeah. Other people get hurt. So, yeah, that's no need for that. Uh, 2011, the, the sub rules introduced, which you ended up finding yourself being on the receiving end a fair bit. How did you feel about the sub role uh, and that kind of being what seemed to be your role within the team? Yeah, it was shit house. Um, there's no way to sugarcoat it. It was weird. It was stupid. I hated it. Um, it seemed to work for whatever reason. Um which in a way was a good thing. Um, but yeah, I hated it. It was once you got used to the role of sitting there for most of the game and seeing guys limp off. And the first thing that happens, as soon as somebody limps off or gets up slowly, somebody always goes, whack, get ready, get ready. You're like, why would I get ready? He just got a bump. There's nothing wrong with him. I'm not going on. And then it was like last five minutes of the third quarter, they're like, okay, get ready, you're going on. And I go, all right, well, I've got 30 minutes to just run my ass off. Might as well get something out of this game because I know at the end of the game we've got to do running. So, yeah, it was weird. It's, I don't know, I've got a photo here somewhere of the first game at Adelaide Oval when I'm in the sub vest. And I know it's me because I was in the sub vest. But, yeah, I hated it. hated it the whole be- it must have been just hard to mentally prepare yourself for that game. Like you obviously would have been so used to doing a certain pre-game routine to get yourself in the right state of mind to play, but then to be standing there just waiting. And then how do you how do you get yourself into that zone when you're given the tap on the shoulder saying, "No, you got to go out there with 35 minutes to go." I uh, I've got this good mental aptitude of being able to switch off completely. I guess I'll call it that because I just would just walk around and talk to people. The game would be going and I'd have to go and speak to the trainers or whatever and I'd just be just really, really relaxed. I know guys get really hyped pre-game and they get very focused, but even pre-game for me after this, I'd have to go and talk to trainers because players didn't want to speak to me. I was just too up and about and I'd be talking shit and 
<laughs> I know Bokey one day told me to piss off. Um, just walked over there, wanted to have a quick chat with him. He's like, mate, fuck off. I don't actually want to talk to you. Sorry for swearing. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I was just that guy that was always buzzing around. So, for me, it was just like, oh, well, I'm here watching the footy. I had – usually I'd have a Powerade, a couple lollies, reckon there might have been a soft drink in there at one stage as well that I'd just have sitting on the bench. So I'd do a bit of a warm-up, run up and down, come back, eat lollies, have some Powerade and just chill out. And then once I say it's go time, I'm like, I've got 30 minutes so I don't have to do a running session. That's all I'm thinking about. Get as much of the footy as I can, kick some goals and come off the ground and be like, oh, I can't do any more. And so it's take off as many kilometres as possible to reduce the, the work afterwards. Exactly that. Yeah. Did you... Did you ever find yourself slipping from like player mode to supporter mode in that 90 minutes that you're sitting on the bench with literally nothing to do but those sprints and warm-ups? Nah. Oh, you do sort of um, cheerlead a little bit, I guess. Um, like good plays and stuff, but you're same as the rest of the boys. If you're on the bench and we kick a goal, everyone sort of gets up, high yeah. fives, all the rest of it. Um, but it wasn't like sitting back, sitting back in my drinks and just like, oh, yeah, this is great. Just at the footy. <laughs> Yeah, should have though. Actually, thinking about it, I probably should have done that. Sit back and your legs up at the G in the box there. Yeah, what he's got done next week. Taking yeah. too relaxed. Yeah. Get rid of him. Uh, Twenty thirteen, we had a pretty good year, finishing fifth. What are your memories of that year? And it must have been good to finally be playing with everything clicking as a unit. Yeah, it was good. Like it was. I don't know. Just. Every, as you say, everything just sort of worked that year and we were probably could have finished slightly higher. We dropped a couple of games that we should have won and um, everything went really well. I know I had a good year. Um, back as a wing, half forward, bit of, a few games of sub there as well. Um, changed into the yellow boots and decided that I was the type of player that I was when I was a kid. And if I got the ball, I said, I don't like you, I don't like you. I'm going to run away. So I'd get the ball and just run away from people. And um, but the most the painful memory was that with the morning of the elimination final against Carlton. So I was. Did you missed that because you did you the, the hamstring? Didn't you the hamstring? Yeah. So I think it was a week week or two before. Well, I don't know. I was, thought it was around 21. It might have been around 22, but can't remember. But I did all this work, rehab work. Um, we then get the call. Essendon have been kicked out of the finals. We're playing Carlton now. Um, Carlton coming off a really bad back end of the year. And I just had this thing that, you know what? I'm going to do everything possible. We've been at this club for eight years. I've never played in a final. It's our first final. There's no chance in hell I'm missing this. So I did a ton of work. Got to the point on Saturday morning I had uh, Pete Burge out the out the back on the oval with me. Uh, I think Leper came out there at one point. Um, Mark Williams, not Choco, was out there. And Dimmer came out there. And I started pleading with Dimmer to change the team and pick me. So if I can do top speed here this morning, you have to play me this afternoon. He's like, mate, the team's in. We can't change it. Like, we come up against Carlton. They're back end of the year. As long as the boys play well, you're playing in Sydney next week. I still was like, nah, I'm doing this. I'm going to do everything I can to play. And 
top speed, running fine, everything felt great, strength through the roof, um, was ready to go. And then five minutes into the game, I think it was Conker did his hamstring, Tucky gets hit. We're leading by four or five goals at halftime. And just that prick from Carlton, C. Judd rocked up at halftime and decided to turn it on. With one arm, man. He just yeah. killed us. That that was yeah. cruel. So how would you would you say you were a hundred percent match fit? Oh, I'd only missed a game. I was running around with Job against Essendon, and they just got to a point because Job's not quick, um, and I could run around and kick. They were like, "Oh, just go with him for a bit, and then we'll take you off at I think it was half time or something." They said, "No, you're done." And I, yeah, I reckon if they put me out there, or even if they put me in a sub burst, coming on. Halfway through the first, I would have been fine to play at the game. Would have been sore the next day, but yeah, you yeah, could have uh, could have done with a bit of um, spark and flair out there later in the game. That was just excruciating to watch. That I'm sure you bloody, would have felt the same. I definitely bloody, felt the exact same. Bloody bloody Nick Diagon. <laughs> like no one's heard of the bloke since but <laughs> that one game. Was that a Brock McLean special as well? Did he play his one good game against us too? Yeah. Did no, he play that earlier in the year? Or was that again oh, in the... So, um... Yeah, Brock McLean was round one. Yeah. And then, yeah, Nick Diagon was the... Um... Yeah, Brock McLean couldn't kick over a jam tin, but kicked one from 55 to win the game for him in the last minute. Ridiculous. Was that Obviously... ever noticed by, by the playing group? Like, did you ever notice players who you thought were not the greatest always happened to play a blinder against you? Uh, guys always seem to step up against us, yeah. The, the one that always the, the one that always used to annoy me was Travis Cloak. Couldn't hit the side of a barn door against any other side, but come against Richmond, he'd be kicking six straight, seven straight. Like I was probably his old man getting stuck in, saying, so, you know, <laughs> yeah. day. Yeah, good old Cloaky. Obviously... 2013, sadly, be your last at the club with you making the switch to Port. Fair to say, um, a lot of Tiger supporters really didn't want to see you go, but was that a move that you felt you you needed to make personally? Yeah, 100%. Um, I think I got caught up a little bit in my own little world outside of footy. Um, and I'll be, I've been honest about this from the day that I left, that um, I probably bought into being a Richmond player, but I didn't buy into being part of the Richmond players. Um, I always lived out back home in Sunbury for a, a big stint in my early days, moved into Essendon, um, hated going to nightclubs and everything like that. I, I was a pub goer. So all the boys would go into CQ or go to some nightclub in town, which I hated. It'd be a $40, $50 cab ride back home. So I'm looking at a two, three, four hundred dollar night. I'm like, no, nah, I'd rather just go back to Sunbury, go have beers with my mates and and go out, which was a I think was a detriment to me. Um and I needed to move away and sort of refine a bit of passion for footy and buy into a culture that was I had no other choice basically. I had to buy into where I went and what I was doing and um, needed some fresh coaching staff and players around me as well to sort of not reinvent myself, but um, get get a bit more out of myself. I needed someone like Darren Burgess who 
I went to him one day and said, I'm feeling pretty sore. And he said, how about you shut up and keep running? And I said, okay. <laughs> and had had my best year of running ever. And when it got to the point where I had osteoitis and all these other things going in the back half of the year, he just said, shut up. You can play through this. You're fine. I was like, okay, I'm, you're right. I can. So, yeah, and just the change of coaching style, I think, was a big, big one for me as well. You just mentioned changing coaching style. Were there any stark differences between the Port coaching staff and the Richmond coaching staff? Yeah, we had it, which I think after, after my time of playing, I realised you need a good cop and a bad cop. Um, Kenny probably didn't get the media he did it in Melbourne as he did in Adelaide, but to all of the outside world of Port, um, Kenny was Uncle Ken. The nice guy, every player went to him with problems. Um, he would give, put you under his wing and say, come here, mate, you're, you're doing everything well, you're doing this right. Um, don't worry about what whichever coach it was was saying. But then my time there was Phil Walsh and I was playing as a wing, half forward, mainly wing, and the standards that he had us midfielders playing to was of a scary level to the point where, and I think a few, there's too many Richmond people or Club 80 people here listening. I've said the story. We played Frio over there um, 30, 40 points down at halftime. We come back and win or 20 points down. We win by 30 or 40 points. And we're all real happy going into our review on the Monday. And I didn't think anything of it, but Ken Hinckley was sitting at the back of the room and Phil Walsh is taking this meeting and all of us are having a joke and having a chat about the weekend and all the rest of it. And Walsh, he just hits us right between the eyes and goes, you pricks, I told you, I fucking told you, if Sanderlands would hit it over the back, Mundy would run through, Pav would run into an open goal. It happened. It fucking happened. You want to win a premiership? You got to cut this shit out. Happened once for the game in the last two minutes of the final quarter when we we're already 40 points up. So we had that sort of contrast where at Richmond, Richmond it was very dimmer had to be good cop, bad cop, and in-between cop because there was no one that was really well, – there was no coach at the time that had the balls to really tell players off, whereas Walsh would sit there and he'd just absolutely rip shreds off players. And you'd go into any any sort of review thinking, oh, no, what have I done wrong? So we just had this standard of don't do anything wrong and you don't get in trouble. It's an interesting point because I think it's a lot of Russian people would agree that I suppose Dimmer's tenure kind of changed when he had the better quality assistance around him that it maybe could take that directive, as you were saying, and be a bit more direct with some players. Yeah, well, I think the, the 2017, um, the turnaround was affected. You got Leper back and Leper had had his tenure as a senior coach and gone, oh, hold on a sec. You can't do this. And I think Dimmer went overseas for most of the preseason. So had Dimmer, uh, had Leper, I believe Truck was there. Carousella was there. Craig was back. So you had this good mixture of people that could do either thing. And I know Leper tried a few times at going a couple of the big dogs when he was with Art, uh, the first stint he had, um, and it sort of fell on deaf ears. And I think the second time around, 
He had Choco there who was borderline a psychopath, um, <laughs> but a lovely person and a, and a, and a very good coach. Um, that helped help Dimmer out to be the coach that he's sort of become now. Yeah. Um, so obviously w- when you shifted to Port, there were conflicting rumours that you weren't offered a contract by Richmond and reports that you were. Was there an offer on the table and did you consider it? I was offered and I didn't consider it. Um, it was a bit of a slap in the face offer. Um, and I didn't leave on a massive contract at Port. Um, it was a two-year deal with a trigger for a third. And I got offered a one-year deal on less than a first-round draft day for 2014. Wow. So, yeah, it was never... No, it wasn't a no-brainer to leave um, financially because um, I was going to get paid more than that, obviously. Um, but the years, and even when... The, so the club didn't really know that I had been exploring options. And even when they did, um, the contract offer was for an extra year, but no extra money. And as... I, if you talk to any AFL player now, if you're paying him 80 to 85 a year, that's no way you can actually live to a AFL standard lifestyle of just the food and everything else with the daily, daily everything that you've got to get yeah. through. Cost of so, living and everything. Yeah. yeah. Not just the cost of living, but you need to get extra work done. You need massages outside of yeah, training hours. You might do Pilates. You might do something else. Um, but 20, what was I, 25, mortgage, car repayments. Um, girlfriend at the time was working but wasn't on a good wicket. So our, our take was still less than what Nick Vlostin was getting paid for for the year. So 2013, I was on less than Nick Vlostin. Wow. Um, and he was getting twice the amount in match payments as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no brainer. <laughs> Obviously, 2014, we'll move on to a bit of a sort of personal highlight for you, I'd take it. Uh, you kicked goal of the year, 2014, against Richmond, of course. Uh, can you talk us through that bit of play? Uh, oh. It was it was electric. Um, I'll, 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 I'll roll the footage as well. We, we do have it here. Sam, having been sad, Mitchell in. Incredible goal there. Stevie Morris is absolute best to catch you, but he had zero chance. Um, <laughs> it was funny that it was him. If it was anybody else, it may not have happened the way it did, but because it was him, as I was saying, I just know him so well. Um, we always, pre-season, we were head-to-head with each other for just about everything. Uh, he always tried to kill me. Like, he was just, he's so intense. He's the loveliest person you're ever going to meet in your life. He's just an, he's 100% a genuinely good person. Um, over the white line, he's a psychopath. He just wants to kill. He just sees red and he's like, I'll kill anyone and everyone. I don't care if you're wearing the same colour jumper as me. If you're in the way, <laughs> I'll take you out. Um, 
But as soon as I realized it was him chasing me, I knew there was there was two options of what was going to happen. I was going to get around him or I was going to die. So <laughs> I got to the point where he was too far away from me that I couldn't make him think he was going to kill me. Like he was just putting in effort to try and catch me. So I actually had to slow down a little bit to draw him in so I could turn and have him reach for me. But the fear of that slowdown and turn <laughs> put the nets back on was at the back of my mind going, he's going to kill you. You better fucking go. So, yeah, once he, uh, once I stepped back around, I knew I had him and pretty much once I got to there, I think I was about 70, 80 out. I'm like, yeah, I'm kicking this goal. This is old school junior footy running up the the wing at Boardman Reserve at, in Sunbury. I'm like, yeah, I got this. Ball didn't spin the way it was supposed to. It, it, didn't, of, it didn't look pretty. You try running a hundred and something meters. Oh, no, Morris is going to kill you. <laughs> did, did any of the boys get into you for running too far after that third bounce? No, but I did have to pay the umpires a little bit afterwards. So <laughs> I, got... <laughs> uh, I did have a tendency not to bounce a ball. Like David Roden gets the ball took five steps and bounced it. I was like, no, nah, no, nah, I've got to go. And they were like, oh, shit, got to bounce the ball. And you see every time I had a run, the ball comes oh. back at 100 miles an hour. So I'm like, shit, bounce. That, that I agree fall. with your method, though. I never understand why players bounce it within a second of getting the ball. Like, you've got 15 uh, to explode away. Surely you're just holding yourself up by doing that extra bounce. I think all my little steps throw the umpire out as well. Because <laughs> I think I've got further because my steps are so little. They're like, oh, we can't... We can't figure out how many steps he's had. I'm letting go. <laughs> cool. Obviously, you had your first taste of finals with Port, uh, your first game coming against us in a game that I think most Richmond supporters would would really like to forget um, at Adelaide Oval. What was the game like for you playing against us and having it turn out the way it did? It was really, really weird. Um, Kenny came up to me on the... Thursday or the Friday when the team came out and said, mate, I'm starting you on the bench. Um, playing your old mob, it's your first final. It's going to be a pretty big crowd. Um, yeah, so you're going to start on the bench. And I was a little bit filthy about it because I was like, oh, what's old mob. Last time I played him, kicked a few goals. And as much as the guys got into me, I was it sort of I rose a little bit. I was like, yeah, I'm going to prove a point. Um, Running out, the crowd was just ridiculous. Like we had the Hawthorne crowd two weeks later was deafening. That elimination final with two of the most feral supporter bases getting around, it was unbelievable. I've never heard anything like it. Um, the Richmond faithful that had 15,000 there or something. I was one of those yeah. poor souls. They were, <laughs> they were ridiculously loud. Um, which was weird because you'd come out to a port home game and you'd hear. Yeah. And this was just a full MCG running out for a Richmond game with 50,000 Richmond people there, but there was only 15,000 of them. Um, and then our crowd up and about, we'd had the big year, first year at Adelaide Oval, never tear us apart was going. Um, and then Cochin decided to kick to the river end. And was there was there a breeze? Said please said it was there. It was. It's the same as I know that everyone says there's a breeze there because there's no stand at that at the river end, but 
it's the same as the G. It just swirls around in there. So there's no real. It it honestly wouldn't have mattered what way we kicked. You blokes were just on that day, and there was nothing we could have done about it. It was like it was so deflating sitting sitting there in the sunshine, getting burnt, knowing within five minutes the game was done. It was yeah. It was a weird. It was an interesting feeling in the rooms because I'm as I said, I'm a very up and about person, a very up and about player pre-game. Um, I had songs that I used to listen to in the shower and would dance around, um, go and do breakfast and everything that I'd normally do. And even the wife was like, you are not, there's something different about you today. So I didn't have the music going. I was I was generally shitting myself about the game. Um, and then there was this weird calm in our change rooms about the game. And then the boys just went out and decided, yeah, we're just going to turn it on and was I think I came on, I kicked the third or the fourth goal with Grimesy tackling me from the top of the square. And, um, yeah, that was pretty much the last bit of my contribution for the day. <laughs> no, it was, yeah, a phenomenal game by, uh, by Port. Uh, we'll go through a couple more, then we'll talk about the, uh, the Swans game. Who was the best Tiger player that you played with? Uh, can't go past Rick. Richo was... Richo was next level. Um, Kazi, of course, was there for a bit. Um, amazing player, amazing person. Somehow, and I can understand why he got to the level that he did with um, with his game, but just had this ability to make all of us young blokes walk two foot taller out before a game. Um, just give you this little pep talk before you walked out. Um, is that the strategy from the club's perspective, do you think, to get something extra out of your young blokes by having someone like him mentor you? Uh, if it was, it was a bloody good idea. Um, you see guys like Colo, um, once Cuzzy was there, Colo went to a new level and then obviously got traded off to Carlton for some reason. Um, but, yeah, I, yeah, I loved I loved my time with Cuzzy. But, yeah, I think for me it has to be richer. Just see a bloke who's this big character, grew up with his number on my back, and then him, then him to sort of get told either leave or we're going to play on a wing. He's like, all right, well, I'm not leaving, so I'm just going to come second in the Brownlow. So screw you guys. Yeah. He was robbed. Robbed. He yeah. Definitely robbed. But he, he, uh, he might not admit it, but I think everyone uh, <laughs> can quite easily testify that he was robbed. Uh, um, yeah, I'm thinking more about when I was younger there, but. Obviously, you can't go past Dusty as well. Like I always forget that I played four or five years with Dusty, and he is just a genuine freak. He is, yeah. He plays a different game to the rest of us. Yeah, and I will say that in my last year, I am one of very few players that broke the stiff arm and take, took him down for holding the ball. And then got another two free kicks for the rest of the game because he kept belting me afterwards. <laughs> uh, got him. That's a good one to put on your mantle, that one. That's yeah. Not many can do that. No, and I still don't know how I did it, and I won't tell anyone how I did it because I don't know. <laughs> and uh, who is your toughest opponent to play on? Obviously not Joe because you ran rings around him, as you said earlier. Uh, early days I had um, had a bit of a tagging role. So I would between Jacko and myself, it's sort of chop and change between players. So... Always had to tag Boomer Harvey uh, just because I was quicker than Jacko. Uh, hated him. Met him since playing. 
he's a good fella. Um, unfortunately, I, I still wanted to belt him, but uh, he was a pretty good player. <laughs> but I, I've stood, I think it was my first year, I stood against Robert Harvey. Um, that was humbling. Yeah. yeah, well, he would have been high 80, low 90 kilos, and I would have been 70 kilos wet and could run with him, but his body work and ridiculousness of how strong he was was next level. Um, Mum and Dad have a photo of me being tackled by Nathan Buckley in my first year. Um, it looks like I'm being tackled by a gorilla because I'm that skinny and Bucks was that ripped and big. It was it's stupid. Um, but the two that you can't go past is C. Judd and G. Ablett. But those guys were just protected, smart, strong, skillful, like. You could beat Gaz inside at a contest, but then you get bashed by three midfielders, and then they all give him the footy. Okay. And then after they've given you, give him in, given him the football, they then bash you again because they know how much work you put into building Gaz. That they're just like, now we protect, protect the little master at all cost because he's the great one. And then you've got Juddy who you think you've got beaten on the outside, and you're pushing him in, and he does some spin move. And he wins the ball and gives it to someone and gets it back and then you get belted. Also, you stand in front of him and try and hold him out and he pushes you under because he's strong, but you've still got arms on him and he's so strong he flicks his hips and takes off and you're like, I'm the quickest guy around. I still can't keep up with you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they were just so hard to play against and so smart and skillful and strong and annoying, annoyingly good. The uh, protection is an interesting one. It's something that I feel like that Richmond supporters felt that we didn't do to our midfielders. It felt like we never protected our guys. It was that. What, did you feel that as a player? Yeah, and it was spoken about a lot. Um, we knew guys were going to go after Nathan Foley. Um, so we sort of said, all right, I've got to protect him. Uh, mid, other midfielders didn't really do it. Um, Cochin comes in. We've got this young bloke playing good footy, we need to protect him. I feel like we didn't do that again. You get a small hit on him here and there. Dusty came in. Everyone's like, you got to protect Dusty. And then Dusty starts stiff-arming everyone. You're like, well, no, he can take care of himself. <laughs> Off you go, son. Um, but, yeah, it was a thing that was always brought, brought up and something that I think as teams get better and gel better, I think you see it a bit more with Richmond now. But I think it was – we. We were still a little bit selfish and a little bit naive to think that we needed to help each other like those good clubs did when you've got a star player like that and they go win their ball and then you protect them. I, I feel that's where Tucky and Jacko were sort of underrated in that regard. They were very selfless, sort of let's stand, stick up for the blokes, you know, shepherd the blocks. Yeah, I remember Jacko taking me and um, Boomer out. So, I forget what year it was, but Jacko tackled Boomer and dislocated his elbow on the far side of Etihad or Marvel Stadium now. Um, I started belting into him because I thought he was lying to me about having a dislocated elbow. Wouldn't um, <laughs> put, put a past pinchy. <laughs> well, he belted me the year before and because he said he was injured, then he belted me and ran off. So I'm like, no, 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 I'm not falling for this trick. So I started punching him and elbowing him in his dislocated elbow. <laughs> Jesus. Well, don't run to the goal square. Run off yeah, the ground right. if you have yeah. your elbow. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. 
that was my excuse. Um, so f- from that day, it was North Melbourne players wanted to kill me, and I still wanted to go after Boomer. So we played. <laughs> Eddie had the year after, and from the first bounce, Boomer and I were just like, right, we're going to throw punches. We're just going to go for it. And coming off the ground, I started getting into him and he's turned around and gave me a big smack and just clipped my chin. And I reckon I got my hand back to probably about here. And by the time I started coming through, next thing I know, I've been upended and I've seen him get upended. And I just see Jacko over the top and the two of us are just on the ground. <laughs> throwing into it. And that was just Jacko. Jacko saw it out of nowhere and just ran from probably 20 metres away and took us both out and we battled him for the next 30 seconds. <laughs> he would run from the bench to protect the teammate, Jacko. Yeah, well, I was happy I got one back for him. Remember the game against Hawthorne where Campbell Brown ran through him? Oh, yeah. And blood all over him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I got one back because I, I don't think it was that long, long later. I balked Campbell Brown, kicked the goal from 50, mouthed off at him was trying everything to get him and finally got him in a tackle and gave him a dump tackle and stood up and then fell back down and elbowed him in the head. And then I was getting up and one underneath. I'm like, yeah. And then from then on, I fought with Campbell Brown every game we played. (laughs) And that's how the rivalry begins. And again, since finishing up, I've had beers with Campbell Brown and I went over and went to introduce myself and say, Brownie, I don't think you, I don't know if you remember me or not. And he's like, Whitey. I'm like, oh crap, we're going to fight. <laughs> loved her. Only young bloke who ever stood up to me every time we played, we were always going to have a fight or get into each other. And yeah, another good fellow, another guy who I wanted to kill and had beers with since, and another good fellow off the field. That's good, though. You can have that white line fever and that you know, combative nature, but then off field, there's a bit of an understanding that, you know, you're there to do a job and, and that's just part and parcel of it sometimes. Yeah, exactly that. And you, if you look across AFL now, you've got guys that have played with each other or know each other through multiple different levels of footy. So as much as I know Stevie Morris was going to kill me if he tackled me, he texted me straight after the game, after that goal and was like, yeah, well done. You need to take me for a drive in your car. Um, <laughs> Bigger Van Maric, um, I think he called me a couple of days later after the elimination final because um, I broke my jaw tackling Grimesy and he called me just to make sure that I was all right and just to check in and stuff. But on game day, he wanted to kill me. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think the white line feed is definitely there. But once you get out off the field now, everyone's known each other for so long. It's yeah someone who knows someone so everyone's pretty nice all right well uh we'll talk about the painful game that happened on friday night briefly uh richmond 15 10 100 defeated by sydney 16 10 106 by six points which has um forced us out of the eight and back into the illustrious ninth position which no doubt opposition supporters and media will uh remind us of uh, goal kickers, Edwards 2, Graham 2, Ralph Smith 2, Short 2, uh, then Bolton, Gibkiss, Dusty, Prestia, Rewaltz, Morris Riley Jr. and Dan Riley all with one each. Uh, Grok wasn't uh, a great night out. We blew another 30-point lead, which isn't good. It never felt like we were all that far ahead, but what was your take on the game? It was just a frustrating game to watch, personally. Like It just felt like even when we were sort of slowly getting on top, 
So we never really sort of kicked into that second, third, fourth gear that we know we can we can get to. It was just sort of like that, just that grinding out. But the one thing that frustrated me to no end was the transition going for going forward. Like from the midfield, we've, we just had Jack Revolt up there. We had Soldo and Nank who weren't really providing anything. We had Jack getting double and triple teamed by Rampy and you know, the McDonald brothers and everything, uh, McCartan brothers and everything like that, but we're still kicking long and high expecting someone to take a mark. Like, Tom Lynch wasn't there, you know, Bolter wasn't playing, and if he was, he would have been down back. There was no, there was literally no lowering of the eyes or anything going forward, and with how much the Swans flooded back, it was just death by a thousand cups. Like, it was just horrible. Definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. Just never happened. No, and uh, why is it hard for players to break that cycle when they're used to playing a certain style? Like they're kicking it into two big forwards week in, week out, to then have to try and lower their eyes. Was there? Is that a hard habit to break? And especially at the SCG, the, ga- the ground closes up on you so quickly. Um, going in there with, and I didn't say that Lynch was out till the. I think it was Friday afternoon. I heard that Lynch wasn't playing. Um, Changes the dynamic, and you, for me, it, you look at what Richmond have done in the past. All these small players, all these fast, dynamic guys like the Rioli, forward line, short, all these guys, Higgins, who's now over the other side. Um, that would have been the perfect game to just turn that around and say, all right, instead of bringing in another tall, let's bring in another small. Leave Jack as the focal point. If we do get the breakout, he's a good lead. He jumps, competes in the air, well, let's let the smalls go to work. Um, and then if you just don't talk about it, which I, obviously they didn't really talk it through, they brought in another tool, you're just going to keep kicking it in long. And unfortunately, the old the old thing of Richmond happened where there's one key forward down there, so that's where the ball goes. So the club, the opposition club goes, that's who we're going to copy. It's going to follow him wherever he goes. If he, he goes up, we go up with him. If he comes back, we go back with him, and I'll get you to come with me too. Uh, two-on-ones with Jack is not helping. And we obviously saw early on in the first half that we were playing really well, lowering our eyes, hitting targets. What can change for that to disappear in the second half? Is it something that our team does or is it something due for the opposition that they've done differently to force it to play a certain way? I'd say it'd be a bit of both. Um, they would have spoken about it at halftime, just keep doing what you're doing and like you've got a 30-point lead, let's just keep going with it. It would have just been an extra back that was getting in the way. So you start thinking, oh, we'll kick it higher. Sydney get a bit of a run on. So the pressure starts to build. Oh, what's the easy option? I'll dump kick forward to Jack. Hopefully he can take a screamer or something and they're not moving the ball as cleanly as they were. So it's definitely a bit of a catch-22 with which which way it goes. But, um, yeah, getting, getting people back in the way, as Kat's saying there. Um, definitely gets gets Sydney back on top. Yeah, and that was that, a big that's... turning point, Grok, wasn't it? With Mills behind the ball, we we really didn't opt to man him up until Gibkus went down there, essentially. And lo and behold, first play the ball goes down there. Gibkus leads, marks, and goals. Yeah, and that that's another frustrating thing to watch. Where I understand coaches backing in their own game plan and thinking that they're going to win, but there comes a time where if it's not working, you do need to make the switch. And that's something that I, I think that Dimmer hasn't quite got right 
in the games that we have lost. I think he's he's been a bit too stubborn in making that change too late. Um, obviously, to sort of stem that tide, and Mills killed us. Like it was obvious from the third quarter that he was the player setting up behind the ball and f- feeding it out to you know their, their runners in um, Reardon and everything like that. So. I don't understand why that change wasn't made at least halfway through the third quarter. It was another 30 minutes before they, they shifted Gibkiss back and uh, Gibkiss up forward. And at that point, the game was, was pretty much done. It was going to take a miracle for, for it to sort of come off. So I think that made that move really should have been made at least 30 minutes beforehand. Speaking of Gibkiss, uh, what a task he was handed to play on big buddy Franklin uh, that's a lot of respect to Dimmer for having the courage to say, "You're a young fella, have a have a crack, Whitey." How, how do you reckon the Gibkiss went, and how daunting of a task would that be playing on someone like Buddy? What is he? 19, 20? 19. Yeah, nineteen. Yeah, nineteen. Games. Yeah. I'm going up against Buddy, my thirty-five-year-old man mountain. Um, kicks goals from seventy still. Smart as hell, quick, strong, you name it. It's a big call to send a 19-year-old to him. Um, obviously, they were thinking if we send him to, we can get someone to chop chop out, come across like Grimesy, peel off, uh, intercept, make it a two-on-one a lot. Um, good on him for having a go because, yeah, that's a, that's a very daunting task to take on the big bud. And, uh, what do you finish with? Five? Um, yeah. and pretty much took it away from you in the second half. So, yeah, I like the idea of giving the young guys a go at it. Um, I think it would have been easier to do if you had a back line with, say, an Alex Rance and a um, Swoop down there. Um, but, yeah, I think I think the call might have been a little bit wrong, but who else are you going to put to him when you really think I mean- about it? Alter maybe, but yeah, um, yeah. I mean, looking at it, Buddy didn't t- only had the two possessions up until half time. I mean, Gibkiss absolutely towered in the first right. half yeah. when we yeah, when we were up, okay. and like Buddy kicked five, but only one was directly on Gibkiss. I mean, he Buddy got the one from sixty, which you really can't defend. He had the one from the from the flank where Candor McIntosh didn't go in. To try and pressure Buddy and instead of trying to run with um, um, Papley. Um, and then, of course, there was the one that Grimesy pushed, you know, Buddy in the, in the last quarter. I did say that, that one. That, oh, that's, that's, that's three of the goals that weren't on, on Gibkiss. And the one that he did, he ended up getting a good um, block from, from Reed for Buddy to open the space. So, again, one goal on Franklin for, for a nine gamer directly. I mean, name another 19-year-old, just turned 19-year-old, nine-gamer who's going to come up against, let's say, the best key forward of the last 20 years and do that good a job on him. I mean, the stats lie. I mean, yeah, Buddy kicked five. But at the same time, it's like the Buddy and Rance battles. Rance could have kicked, uh, Buddy could have kicked five on Rance and you'd still say Rance had had a great game because he limited Buddy, like. I don't think Gibkiss's game was as bad as people are making. Oh, I don't think it was. As, I don't think he had a bad game. I thought he didn't drop his head once, and the fact he could go forward and kick a clutch yeah. goal <clears throat> shows yeah. how strong he is mentally. To yeah. after having the, the night he had, had he had a couple of bad skill errors in the in the back half, but 
yeah, for him to sort of have the nerves to go back and kick his first goal like that was um, was pretty good. His kicking action is sweet. Like, he yeah. nailed that. Yeah, we spoke about the uh, undisciplined acts before the, the show started, Matt. Um, how frustrating is it when you see the experienced players? In particular for us, we've got Grimes and Nank who have given away two free kicks at crucial points of the game that's resulted in Sydney goals, which kind of helped kickstart their momentum. It must be nothing more infuriating as a player when you're busting an ass to, you know, get the, the ball going your way for that to happen. Yeah, as I said to you pre-show, it's as a young fella, I would have just shaken my head and gone about my business and not worried too much about it. As an older fella, I would have been a, a bit of a stern talking to there to the leaders there to say, "Oh, you pull your head in." Um, that's the reason why we're you've let them back in the game. It's not on skill error it's not on anything else it's through dumb acts um and put it back on them to own it so it's just because they're things you can control yeah there's not much you can control in a game of footy even dusty have could have 38 and kick three i think he'd have a total possession time of like less than two minutes um that it's not a lot you can control in the game so giving away stupid free kicks which you can control um, it just kills you. I, I'm been coaching at Coburg in the VFL this year, and it's just dumb free kicks that just change momentums of games. And you can be up and about, a couple of free kicks, and um, yeah, it, it just changes. And it showed on Friday night. A few people wanting to get your thoughts on some of the new rules: the descent rule uh, and prohibited contact in the sorts. <laughs> What's what's your take on that? It's, it's changed a lot since you've played, and it hasn't even been that long, to be honest. I would be in a lot of trouble. Um, <laughs> I wasn't so abusive to the umpires, but I was definitely chatty to them. And if there's a free kick against you, and you've just you've put in a massive effort, and they call a high tackle, or you chase someone down, they say it's in the back. I can tell you 100, percent I'm getting up. And I'm doing a little bit of the rich show and giving them this one. Um, and I'll be walking off the ground because it's, yeah, it's just getting a bit silly now. You, they're trying to eliminate the passion out of the game. And they're trying to over-officiate the game again. So, and the, the rules aren't even clear. So you've got a poor bloke umpire who's out there. Somebody goes like this, they've got to go 50. Otherwise, they go to their review and it's not there. It's but a, then you don't know what the freak is going it's a personal interpretation of what they deem as dissent. And a lot of the times we're seeing, even non-Richmond games, you're seeing that it's players asking questions about, like, why was that a free kick? And I think you're entitled to ask that. As a junior, you always ask that question because you want to know what you've done wrong so you learn from it and don't do it again. Yeah. And it's not abusive. If they, you know, point the finger and have a crack, fair enough, it's paid. Like, that would happen before this rule come in. But it's just gotten beyond the joke now. And then to see Dan Rioli get done for prohibited contact <sighs> when he, he pretty much, like, just forearm brushed past Papley... It's like, what, what are we doing? And I'm sure the rules flow down to VFL level where you're coaching. How do, how do your guys cope with it? And how do you try and coach to that? It's hard because we've got a few different rules as well, like the 6-6-6 rule. Um, but we have to have a six out of defensive stoppage as well. So the umpires actually called a free kick on us against Essendon on the weekend. Um, and they said, oh, you don't have six forwards outside of the defensive 50 as our six forward run on the ground from an interchange and they wouldn't reverse the call. 
Like we use common sense. All oh, right, we got that wrong. It's a ball up. We'll just throw it up. No, no, they stuck with the free kick. Um, but yeah, it's just you've got you've got guys there that like at Kobe, we've got guys that are playing to be drafted. Um, and guys that and they want to win a premiership as well. Um, we're not traveling that well, but guys are still there trying to get drafted, and there's a free kick paid, and they just turn around like, What the hell was that for? That's 50, son. Come on, let's go. Yeah. Right. Well, hold on. That's asking a question. He didn't get up going, you piece of this and swearing his head off. He's asking the question. You're calling that dissent. Um, so wrong. Guys at AFL level, I know Jack used to do it a fair bit. Um, I don't know if he's allowed to now, but as a key forward or a small forward, you're down the other end of the ground when it's in defensive 50 and they pay for a kick. So you go up to the umpire and go, hey, man, like you might tap him on the ass or tap him on the back or something. You go, hey, um, what was that for? They've got earpieces in, so they know what's going on. And they used to just turn to you and go, oh, that, they've called that one high. You, you look up at the screen and go, really? Would you have paid that? And the umpire go, oh, well, I'm not the one down there. But you, can't, <laughs> you can't even do that anymore. It's just, yeah, it's just hard. I, I, get, yeah. I, I agree with, with what Chris said. Like, obviously... They've, they've gotten to the point where they've gone to the extreme. Obviously, again, like, if you know that it's a free kick and you abuse, yeah, fair enough. But if you, again, just asking a question like, hey, what's that for? Especially when there's so many free kicks paid now where both sets of teams get up and look at the umpire like, what you know, who's is it for? And yeah. even the umpires themselves are getting confused and pointing the wrong way and stuff. You surely should be able to ask, you know, who's free kick is it or if, if it's against you who am i giving the ball to sort of thing but even yeah. that that it's like that 50 50 meters and common sense like that they, they they pick and choose when to pay it like surely it should be applied to oh, every every decision you take it as you it comes the brisbane hawthorne game down in tassie where there was 60 something free kicks oh. guys are shoving and they're like oh that's a that's a push that's this hold on a sec umpire we need to go back to whoever's making the rules the decisions on what the rules are and go, you've got to remember, we've come a long way from the 1970s, 1980s, early 90s, where guys were getting punched in the back of the head going for a mark. We don't do that anymore. But we need to have some of the argy-bargy in this game because I've watched, I've, and I tweeted this a little while ago, I've watched some of the super netball. Um, there's some girls out there that are throwing their weight around, throwing elbows and all the rest of it, they get fiery. Can't see that in AFL anymore. You're not allowed to. You're not allowed to push and shove. You're not allowed to grab each other's jumpers and tell each other you're going to kill them or do the sneaky little things under the pack and the, all the jumper punches and everything that we used to do. They're just taking everything away from the game. I know there's a big thing with concussion and everything, but that's not the things that are going to give you a concussion like it used to. It's That's the fabric of afl of having fun like to me that used to be fun the bumping and the throwing each other around having a wrestle with someone for 10 seconds blowing up and wishing you'd never done it um (laughs) it's part of the game that they're just trying to get rid of they're literally trying to turn into some style of basketball fast flowing non-contact sport which for me is ruined ruining the game yeah and that that's the thing where i think Obviously, with the Hawthorne-Brisbane game last week and, again, the Richmond-Sydney game Friday night, 
We had 61 free kicks paid in our game total, which is a massive number. Mm. But both teams scored over 100, scored 100 points or more. And the AFL is going to look at that and say, oh, cool, more free kicks equals higher scoring. It's, oh, it's, like, it's, it's just going to just have a flow-on effect. Where the, uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see 50, 55. That can't plus. become the new norm. Yeah. That's scary. That's a free kick every yeah. two minutes. That's not right. Yeah. And that, I think I, I wouldn't be surprised to see that coming, especially with the AFL wanting scoring to be increased is hey let's let's pay more free kicks because that's one that's the fastest way to break up congestion give a free kick give the team possession yeah and then when yeah. everyone's complaining about it being basketball yeah. Like, yeah. Back. yeah all right and the uh the common sense question the elephant in the room grok if a bloke kicks a ball to the fourth level after a free kick has been awarded if even if the siren's gone should that have been 50 that that's fifty for me. I agree with what was said um, on the couch on Monday night. If that had been in the first end of the first quarter, end of the second quarter, or end of the third quarter, they would have paid it. Just because it's the end of the game shouldn't make a difference. The ball was still live when that free kick was paid. Anything after that is still should is still in play. And I mean, you, you only have to have a look at last. <laughs> You only have to have a look at last week. The amount of, like, Bolton in the Dreamtime game got pinned twice for kick it, having a shot at goal after Revolt gave away free kicks because there was 80,000 at the MCG and he didn't hear the whistle. He got pinned twice for it. So why are you going to yeah. pick and choose now? Like That's did, cool. Personal umpires who pick and choose, as they do. Yeah. That's the common sense that we keep talking about. Um, Jay Schultz said this in, uh, it would have been 2016, the AFL don't know what common sense is anymore. Yeah. There's I mean, no such thing as common sense in the AFL. Why well, pulled out common sense in the last two seconds of a game when it's been completely absent for the 125 minutes beforehand? Exactly. Yeah. I, and look, to be fair, I, I do want to state that it should never have gotten to that point where we no. needed that 50 metres to get even a draw. We should have not lost a 30-point lead. Um but what I found interesting is I think the umpire that was officiating that bit of play, what based on what we could hear in the mics, was going to pay it. And then Stevic come in over the top. So no, no, common sense, uh, not paying. And they were getting sort of word through from the arc and all that kind of stuff as well. But I, I think the reason they went with Stevic was he was the actual he was the one that called the free kick for Prestia in the first place. It wasn't the closest umpire, it was the umpire oh, okay. away from the contest. And that's why they went with Stevic saying no 50. But no, surely. Well, but surely if you've got an umpire in a better position who's saying that it's 50, and I think that that's going to cause a massive issue with, with everyone. If the umpires can't agree on a decision, how else are the fans supposed to know or the players supposed to know? Yeah, well, the players definitely don't know. That's <laughs> If the umpires don't know, which is a question that I brought up to them in my last year when they changed a few like below-the-knee rules and stuff, literally ask them, well, what's the difference between this and this? And they say, oh, the interpretation of what we see on the day. Uh, you don't actually know what the rule is. And they're like, well, yeah, of course we do. You can't do this. But I've just asked you the question of two different things and you can't answer which one's a free kick and which one's not. But they don't know. And it's, it's the worst thing about it because you've got Scotty, who's now in charge of all this stuff. And I bet you if you went to him and said, oh, do you know anything about rule... 15b dash 1.6a c d um sliding into the knees or something he wouldn't have a clue what you're talking about yeah and yeah. that must be infuriating as a player when 
you, you don't know what you can and can't do. And the last thing you want is players second-guessing themselves. Yeah. Do that, I go uh, do I not? Like, Nathan Foley, one of the best at diving on the footy and extracting it, wouldn't be out of play now because they'd all say he's a dirty player for trying to take people's legs out. Yeah. But and it was... The slide feet first. He would dive correct. first. And that was an isolated incident, and it was it was terrible. Like no one wants to see broken legs, and the action that caused that was wrong. But as a junior, you were taught to be first to the ball and to win it. And now that's going against every player's instinct of what they were taught the whole time through their juniors and TAC, NAB League, whatever we're playing now. And it's just crazy. I mean, you, you saw that Friday night with the the goal that they kicked to go seven points up when they hit the hundred with obviously Gibkiss and Rioli, that turnover in the back pocket. Baker had a chance to go in low and hard, but he didn't. And the Swans ended up going in first because you just see he got to the contest and then sort of stopped. He's like, I don't want to go in and take a leg out or something like that. It's just causing issues that, on so many different levels. I don't want to win the ball because I don't want to give a free kick away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Like, you say that loud and you're like, what? That doesn't make sense. Yeah, but it is. That's that's uh, that's how it's, it is these days. Uh, we've got the bye this week, so I'll chance to freshen up and hopefully the, the guys come out firing uh, after the bye and, and get back on track. But we've got to try and cling on to a top eight spot. So we'll see how we go. But Matt, thank you so much for coming on, mate. Really appreciate your insights and your stories. Absolutely fantastic to hear from you. Uh, I'm sure that the Tiger Army were grateful to hear from you as well. And Grok, thanks so much for coming back on, mate. Much appreciated. No worries. Cheers, boys. Thanks for having Cheers, me. Cheers, Whitey. No worries. Welcome back anytime. And uh, until we'll, we'll try and do another show next week to talk about the uh, next upcom- upcoming game. and might do a, a mid-season review of some sort as well and break it all down, but uh, we'll see how Could we even, go. So, Even have a discussion of the mid-season draft, which is on Wednesday night. Yeah. Actually, on the map, your VFL boys, is there anyone in line to get picked up for the mid-season draft? We've got a couple of decent-looking players. I don't know if they're going to get drafted or not. We've got... Um... Jack Mayborn, uh, big key defender. Um, he's had a ripping year. He's um, he was up there leading the intercept marks at one point. Um, Sam Lawson, a small forward, um, kicked a couple of goals on the weekend. Very dynamic player. Um, young fella Flynn Gentile, um, midfielder, quick, um, very light on though, um, but moving well. Um, and there's a couple of guys as well, um, high forwards and, and stuff who have been playing some half decent footy, but we haven't had too many wins this year. We've only had the one win and, um, yeah, it makes it a little bit harder for the guys to, to really put their best foot forward when you're always coming from behind. So hopefully we, uh, selfishly as the coach, one of the coaches, I hope we don't lose anyone, but at the same time, I hope we do because. It'd be a good reward for some of these guys that have either been on a list and are trying again or guys that have missed out over the years and um, hopefully get their opportunity because that would be, once you do get in there, it is bloody good fun. It's hard work, but it is good fun. Uh, Just quickly, do you like it as a concept, the mid-season draft? Uh, I do and I don't. I like the idea that for the AFL guys, they can um, say that you've got no key backmen out there um, and you've got all these injuries of all your key backs and you can go out and go, right, well, who is the best key back in the in the land at the moment um, and replace him, replace someone. Um, but as the club below where our key back 
could possibly be leading our best and fairest and be one of our best players. And we've got a small forward who's kicking all of our goals. If we were to lose one of those two, we have to replace them. Um, you guys don't. You've replaced someone. So yeah. we're then going to find someone else. So it's it's a catch-22 of good and bad because, as I said, I'd love to see some guys get that are, I'm coaching get drafted and taken up and play at the level. Um, but I don't want to lose them myself. So um, <laughs> Makes sense, yeah. yeah. So you get right, we'll keep we'll keep an eye for the draft. I think it's on Wednesday night. I think it is, or during the day. Yep. So keep an eye for those names. Uh, thanks so much again, Matt, for coming on. Much appreciated. Welcome back anytime. And thanks again, Grok. And we'll see you all next week on Monday night. Go Tigers! Cheers, Go boys. Tigers.